Hey friends, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I'm a therapist on a mission to bridge the gap between faith and therapy. When life feels overwhelming, we want to know if there really is a deity who loves us, knows us, and cares about what happens to us. If that's you and you can relate to that, join us today as I interview investigative journalist and former atheist Lee Strobel on a quest to determine whether we can know with confidence that God is real. Lee Strobel's landmark book, The Case for Christ, is one of the most respected defenses of Christianity of all time. Now in his newest book, Is God Real?, Lee weaves together material from his previous books with the latest evidence from the most brilliant scientific and philosophical minds to answer the pressing question on our hearts and mind. Well, if you are new to the show, welcome. Here on Real Talk with Rachel, you can tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes. Those are always under 20 minutes. And every other Wednesday, we share guest interviews with people I hand-select, like Lee, to speak into your life. These episodes are meant to be educational, not a replacement for your therapist. Today, I want to request that you stick around until the end of the show for an update on this show and a personal message from my heart to yours. Let me officially introduce you to this week's guest. In case you don't already know him, he's kind of one of those people that doesn't need an introduction, but I always like to just in case you're, this is your first time hearing about him. Lee Strobel is a former award-winning legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, is a New York Times best-selling author whose books have sold millions of copies worldwide. Lee earned a journalism degree at the University of Missouri and was awarded a Ford Foundation Fellowship to study at Yale Law School, where he received a Master of Studies in Law degree. He was a journalist for 14 years at the Chicago Tribune and other newspapers, winning Illinois top honors for investigative reporting, which he shared with the team he led. And he was a public service journalism from United Press International. Lee also taught First Amendment law at Roosevelt University. He's a former atheist, as I mentioned before. He served as a teaching pastor at three of America's largest churches, and today, He's founding director at the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. Lee and his wife, Leslie, have been married for more than 50 years, and they live in Texas. And their daughter, Allison, and son, Kyle, are also authors. You can learn more about Lee at leestrobel.com. And, you know, just on a personal note, this is my second time having Lee on the show. If you missed the first time, uh, that was a great conversation. We'll be sure to put all these links in the show notes today. But Lee is one of those, you know, I've interviewed him a few times now. And as you just heard in his bio, I got a little tongue twisted there because he's so accomplished. And oftentimes when you see somebody who is that accomplished, especially in education, they can be maybe sometimes, not always, a little stuffy, you know, a little like, yeah, I know this. Lee is so down to earth. The times I've talked with him, like I said, you know, not only on these interviews that you get to listen to, but we always hop on and chat a little bit before and after. And he is very humble. He's very kind. He listens. He complimented me on some things. And 
I just appreciated that about him. So not only does the guy know his stuff, but he has a beautiful heart. So please help me welcome Lee to the show. Well, hello, Lee. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Great to be with you again. I appreciate it. Yeah. And actually, I should have said welcome back to the show because I had you on a year ago. That's right. That's yes. right. As we, I know you're of a Texas connection, and I'm a new Texan, so I've learned to say appreciate you. That's what we uh, we Texans like to say. Appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, have you gotten into y'all yet? I've gotten into y'all, and I learned the difference between y'all and all y'all. Mm. That all y'all's plural, and I never thought about that, but it makes sense. So um, I'm learning. In fact, my kids, my grandkids, rather, who live in Texas, they're new Texans. And the reason I know they're total Texans is my little granddaughter Penelope. One night at dinner, said, "Can I pray for dinner?" And we said, "Sure." So she prayed, "God is good. God is great. Thank you for the Lone Star State." <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so fun! I love it. Well, welcome to Texas. We're so glad you're Thank here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we're gonna let that be your fun fact then because that is a question that I <laughs> usually ask my guests what's something about you but that's our fun fact that you're now you've you've come over to the yep. the land where it's the best land you know we, we do we have this weird, right. weird thing happening in Texas about we yep. think we're best but you know yep. one of the reasons one of the reasons we moved here is because of the openness toward homeschooling and we homeschool all our grandchildren and and this is a fertile ground for homeschoolers here in Texas Yes, it is. Yeah. Our kids go to a collaborative school where we homeschool two days and they go two days. Yeah. So similar to what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Yes. We love it. Okay. So the last time I talked to you, we were talking about The Case for Heaven, which was a book and a documentary, right? Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now this time, which have you, are you one of those authors that has lost track of how many books you've written? Well, it's funny. I had to produce a curriculum vitae, um, and uh, they said you have to list all your books. And so I started writing them down. I always used to say more than twenty, and it, it turns out it's more than sixty. Um, <laughs> I told my wife, "No wonder I'm exhausted." Yeah, but. But part of that reason is some are derivative. So in other words, I'll do the case for Christ, but then from that, we'll draw the case for Easter, the case for Christmas. So I don't consider those, you know, totally original work. So um, normally I'd say more than 40. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I just released my first and only book thus far uh, six months ago. And awesome. when I, yeah, and when I hear people saying they've written that many, I am like, how are you still upright right now? Like, I would be. <laughs> but I do think you get a system, you get a rhythm. And, and I know once I write my second one, it will probably go much more smoothly than the first. Um, it yeah. really, you know, and I'm <laughs> trained in journalism, so we're trained to be fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just get, keep that button chair and you keep writing. Um, okay. Right. So this one, though, is, is God real? How did this one come about differently than the other ones that you've written? Well, this is the only book where the publisher approached me. Hmm. Um, they came to me one day and they said, Lee, we, we've no, our, our researchers and technicians have noticed something. They've noticed 200 times a second around the clock, somewhere on planet Earth, someone is typing into a search engine, basically the question, is God real? And they said, why don't you do a book that deals directly with that topic? Is God real? So I've drawn from some of my other books, a lot of new material, and created a book to really respond to that question. You know, how do we know? This is the ultimate question of life. It determines everything. So is God real? Okay. I totally can see that being 
I mean, obviously it's accurate that people are Googling that because yeah. as a counselor, I'm seeing more and more of that. Uh, mm. Whenever I have somebody new come into our practice, we have all kinds of paperwork they fill out. And I always like to ask them, where do you have a faith? Like, where do you stand on this? And that always sure. opens an extremely interesting conversation because a lot of people are wrestling and whether they were yeah. brought up in church or never were, they're not only wrestling, they're walking away and they don't want anything to do with it. And so I actually like whenever I see people asking questions versus just completely shut off to it, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh -huh. Absolutely. You know, it used to be back in the 1960s that uh, if you ask an American, are you a Christian? They say, oh, yeah, of course. They really weren't. But, you know, they're an American. So, of course, I'm a Christian. Yeah. These days, if you ask, are you a Christian? People say, nah, not really. Yeah. And, and I'd rather them say that. I'd rather them be honest about it because then we can deal with it rather than pretend we're something we're not. I totally agree with that because I can even think of friends I have in my life that Exactly that. I'm like, yeah. they, you know, they have finally just said, actually, no, I'm not. And I kind of, not kind of, I do respect them for just being like, no, yeah. I'm not. And I'm like, okay, yeah. now let's I know. Let's deal with it. Yeah, let's, exactly. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, we have a stat here and it is that fewer Americans believe in God today than ever before, which we're kind of talking about. And according right. to Gallup, belief in God is now down to 81% compared to 98% in 1967. So why do you think the belief has declined? Well, uh, we're seeing it through the generations. You know, the younger the generation, the more likely that they're going to be skeptical. Uh, the uh, Generation Z, there's three times as many young people who call themselves atheists as in my generation. So we're seeing increased skepticism. I think a lot of it comes from the Internet. It comes from uh, there's a lot of influences in people's life. You know, the Secular Student Alliance, which is an organization of atheist organizations, is on 400 high school campuses and college campuses. And so there's a more of an effort these days, I think, by um, non-religious organizations to uh, challenge the faith of believers. Uh, I was talking to a guy who said his six-year-old granddaughter who went to public school was on the playground and she was being taunted by the other students because she believed in God. Oh, you believe in fairy tales. You know, they're, they're making fun of her. So uh, uh, young people are being challenged in faith issues more and more. And if they don't know why they believe what they believe, sometimes it causes their faith to collapse a bit. Yeah, I agree. And I almost wonder, too, if it's like, a, you know, how we were just talking about used to ever, uh, most people identified as Christian. And I wonder if yeah. also this is like a what's popular at the time to be doing. Yes. You know, there yes. was a season where, oh, it's very popular to be a Christian. Well, now it's not so popular. <laughs> That's very much so. You know, we've gone through a genera uh, through the generations in recent decades where there used to be a positive in the culture to be a Christian. Then it became kind of a neutral. Now it's kind of a negative. Yeah. I mean, um, honestly, I think it's harder to come out of the closet as an evangelical Christian than as a gay person. Yeah. Um, in, in our culture, uh, you will be challenged, you will be criticized, you will be attacked for it. And so I think we have to be aware of that and to uh, study why we believe what we believe so that our faith is strong and secure. Yeah, for sure. And that's what, you know, a quest I feel like I've been on personally, and I'm also trying to take my listeners and my family on of really going, can I honestly defend my faith yeah. more than just, it's just what I believe, you know, right, and, and right. having some more there. So that's why I love talking to people like you who you've dedicated your life uh, to this. And so 
I love, I feel like you do such a great job of condensing some of these things for us in a tangible way. So what if, if you had just 60 seconds to summarize the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, what would you say? Yeah, of course, the resurrection is the key. If anybody can claim to be God as Jesus did, but if he died and returned from the dead, that's pretty good evidence he's telling the truth. So quickly, I would use four words to begin with the letter E. Uh, execution, Jesus was truly dead. Even the Journal of the American Medical Association, a secular, peer-reviewed scientific medical journal, determined that the evidence is clear that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Secondly, early reports. You know, a lot of people think the resurrection is a legend that developed 100 or 200 years after the life of Jesus. But we have a report of the resurrection of Jesus, including named eyewitnesses and groups of eyewitnesses, that has been dated back by scholars to within months of his death, far too quick to be a legend. Third E is empty. We have an empty tomb. And the fact about that is even the opponents of Jesus admitted the tomb was empty. Everybody conceded it was empty. And then the fourth E is for eyewitnesses. You know, most of what, which, uh, most of the facts that we believe are true about ancient history are based on one source of information, or maybe two sources of information. But for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. I mean, that is an avalanche of historical data. Well, you nailed it. That, my friends, is what we call an elevator pitch for the resurrection. Yeah, there, you <laughs> there you go. I could have gotten that on my ride down the elevator with you. And that's what that's what we like to see. No, but I'm so glad that you said that. And for the listeners, we'll make sure those make it into the show notes. And uh, because I just love love that practical piece of it. And in that, you know, we've been talking just a tiny bit about Christianity, yeah. but also, like you said, we have to believe this whole thing with Jesus and the resurrection even happened Absolutely. to Absolutely. even enter into Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if, as the Apostle Paul said, if the resurrection didn't happen, you can throw out your faith. I mean, yeah. we have nothing to stand on. So it really is the key. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now let's bring it back to um, the number one objection uh, oftentimes to is God even real is all the suffering that's in the world. And that's right. a huge thing that makes people question if he is real, man, he must, I don't want anything to do with them because what's up with all this yeah. suffering. So how do you respond to that question? It is a big question. Every worldview has to wrestle with that, though, not just Christianity. And it's important to understand, we have about 20 lines of evidence that point toward the truth of Christianity that all remain valid. And on the other side of the scale, this is the question. This is the main question, the main objection. If God is real, why is there suffering in our world? And I just say a few things about that. First of all, um, we have to understand God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Where did it come from? Well, God has existed from eternity past as the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in a relationship of perfect love. And so when God decided to create humankind, he, he wanted us to be able to love each other and to love him, because love is the greatest value in the universe. Uh, well, to do that, he had to give us free will. Why? Because love always involves a choice. You know, when uh, when my daughter was little, way back many, many years ago, uh, she had a thing called a Chatty Cathy doll. That was a big deal back then. And the Chatty Cathy doll had a string on the back. And if you pull that string and let it go, 
the Dow would say, I love you. That's, that's about how it sounded. And uh, did that Dow love my daughter? No, it was a robot, so to speak. It was programmed to say that. It's not love unless there's a choice. And so God gave us free will to choose to love him or not to love him. And what did we do with that? We walked the other way. We chose not to love him. And that opened the door to two kinds of evil and suffering in the world. Moral evil, which is when we decide to hurt each other or turn our backs on the needs of other people. And um, natural evil, which are things like earthquakes and hurricanes and things like that, because the Bible says uh, sin has corrupted the entire cosmos, entire world. It groans for redemption, the Bible says. So that's the origin. We can't blame God. You know, if if um, I could take my hand and I could hold a gun and I could shoot an innocent person, or I could take that same hand and I could feed a hungry person. But if I take the gun and shoot somebody, it's a little disingenuous to say to God, well, where were you? Why do you allow suffering? You know, I mean, the enemy is us. In other words, we've allowed evil and suffering to exist. So that's the first thing I'd say. And then I'd say a couple other things really quickly. Uh, Even though suffering isn't good, God does use it to accomplish good. He used it to draw people to Christ, to sharpen our character and so forth. Um, uh, And he promises to draw good out of the suffering that his followers endure, whether in this life or the next. Um, We need to know that the day is coming when suffering will cease and um, evil will be judged. That day is not here yet because God is still holding back the curtains of history because there's still yet people who are going to come to faith. Uh, But that day is coming where suffering will end and evil will be judged. And we need to keep it in perspective and know that our suffering pales in comparison to what the followers of God will experience in heaven. And then finally, we make the choice when we run into difficult times in this world to either run to God or run away from God. One of the key verses on that is John 16, 33, where Jesus says, I tell you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But he said, take courage, I have overcome the world. And so God said, I'm going to give you the two key things that you need when suffering comes, peace to deal with the present and courage to deal with the future. And Jesus said, I can can bring those into your life in a supernatural way if you put your trust in me. You know what I love about so much of what you just said is that the good, it shows the goodness of God and the yeah. kindness of God and the character of God that he fixes what he didn't even break, right? Yes, it's so, like, I love that. I've never heard it put that way before. That's very good. Say that again. He, 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 fixes, he fixes what he didn't even what break. He didn't even break. Yet, we blame him for it, him breaking it, right? Yeah. And I also, yeah. the other thing that jumped out that you said is the enemy is us. Yeah. We don't want to admit that. Believe me, like I see this all the time again, in counseling and in, and in personal real world of people don't like taking responsibility yeah, <laughs> for their own choices. You know? um, obviously, sometimes we there are definitely things outside of our control for sure that happen to us, but then there's also lots of things that we could take responsibility for that we just don't. You know? Yeah, uh-huh. I, I mean, people look at famines in Africa yeah. and say, where's God in the midst yes. of that? Well, uh-huh. we grow enough food in this world to yeah. feed every man, woman, and child 3,000 uh, calories a day. 
So why are people starving? Because we're selfish, because we don't care, because we don't reach out and our governments uh, are insular and don't care about people outside their borders and so forth. So, you know, um, the enemy is us in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, case in point, the fact that I know, you know, the diet and fitness and wellness industry is a billion dollar industry. And I've had this thought recently. I was like, man, we get so much food here that now we're having to pay to help somebody help us figure, get it off. Like, you know That's what I'm true. saying? Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. man, we, yeah, I don't think you're we right. always think of that, but yeah, but that's just what was coming to my mind when you're talking about how exactly it was never God's original design for the world to be broken like it is. And he didn't bring sin into the world. And then here we are as his kids. I can't help, you know, as a mom, I have three kids. And it's interesting when you see when your kids like get mad at you for something that you're like, well, I didn't do that, but here, I will sure help you fix it. And I'm like, that's yeah. that's what God's doing. He's like, we're, we're raising our fist at him. And he's like, well, that didn't come for me. But guess what? Yes, I'll still, I'm still going to help you out of that. So, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes people tell me, you know, okay, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that God, if I follow Christ, that he'll cause good to emerge from the suffering I go through. And I hear people say, yeah, you don't know what I've gone through. And I don't think God could draw in this world or the next any good out of the suffering I've been through. And I, I tell them, you know what? God took the worst thing that could ever happen in the universe, which is the death of the Son of God on a cross. And from that, he has caused to emerge the best thing that's ever happened in the universe, which is the opening of heaven to all who follow him. So if God can take the worst thing that could ever happen and turn it into the best thing that can ever happen, he can take the suffering that we go through and draw good from it as well. We can trust him for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the next thing that sometimes people object about when they're wrestling with this belief in God is that they believe that God's too hidden. And what do you think about that? How do you respond to that? Well, yeah, this is an interesting question. I deal with this. I have a chapter in the book, Is God Real? Dealing with this question, because it's a popular objection that people raise. And I like to go to Romans 1 verse 20, which basically says there is enough evidence for us to see as we look at nature, as we look at the complexity and the wonder of the world, there is enough evidence for us to clearly, the Bible says, to clearly know that God exists. But our reaction, and we don't like to admit this, but our reaction is often to suppress that. Uh, in fact, the biblical language in the Greek there is like a pedal. So in other words, we're, we see evidence of God in nature and in the world, and, and but we suppress it. It's like pushing down that pedal once more because we don't want to know it. So uh, I, I think, in a, again, in a sense, the, the problem is with us that, that we tend to ignore the evidence for God's existence and look the other way. Sometimes we think we're being open, but we want God on our terms. Uh, I'm thinking of a case uh, recently of a a well-known celebrity who became a a follower of Jesus. And we were all kind of celebrating, oh, that's awesome. And then she turned her back on him because she found that there's some teachings of Jesus that conflicted with her political ideology. And so she didn't want to be a Christian. And I go, you know, we got to come to God on God's terms, not on our terms. And sometimes I think we, we think we're open to God, but we're not really as open as we think we are. 
Yeah. You know, the the phrase that was coming to my mind when you said that is selective Christianity, you know, That's like, good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and I think, I think all of us can relate to when you read the Bible and you come across a verse, you're like, eh, we're going to skip right over you. And, <laughs> you know, you just, right. I mean, again, it's just so interesting to me. I think I've learned so much of that in counseling when people are like, they want to know what God has to say about a certain topic, but then another topic, they're like, sticking their fingers in their ears and singing right. la 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 and yeah. uh, but if you think about that that's interesting that of course affects our relationship with God because i think about my hus- my relationship with my husband and yeah. if i only wanted to hear from him on certain topics which i know that that there might be some marriages that are kind of <laughs> wired that way but your level of intimacy is constrained by how open am i going to be to say we can both, you know, that and I'm talking about marriage right now, we can both yeah. speak into each other. But of course, with God to say, okay, Lord, it takes a surrender. It takes saying like letting go so much of our own control to just go, yes. all right, I trust that everything in here is true. Not just, I, I'm not going to pick and choose things here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't just want us to know that he exists. You know, the question is God real. He doesn't want us to say yes and then walk away. He wants us to realize, yes, he is real. And then to receive him as our Lord and savior, to receive Jesus, the son of God, his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf to become a follower of God, to become a disciple of God. And that means obeying him and following his teachings and so forth, which ultimately are for our good anyway. And and I think the key about the hiddenness of God is, you know, the Bible says, if we sincerely seek God, uh, we're going to find him. It says in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, and the New Testament, and Hebrews. So I think if we sincerely seek him, God will find a way uh, to, to be to show himself to be real to us in one way or the other. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I think about how my dad met the Lord, and it was uh, his his brother had given him a Bible that he had never opened or anything, and um, they were snowed in up in Oklahoma one winter. And my dad decided just to, well, fine, I got nothing else to do. I guess I'll read this thing. And so he started reading it and he started like, okay, I think this might be real. And anyhow, he went outside and he's like, God, if you're real, just tell, you know, make it known to me. And he looked up and he saw the stars. And essentially, my dad quoted a verse that he didn't even know was had not read yet in the Bible. Wow. You know, and wow. and he ended up giving his heart and life to Jesus right there in the snow, you know, looking up at the stars. And and then it was later he became a pastor and um was a pastor for 30 plus years. And it was when wow. he really started digging into the word, he was like, Oh my goodness, the night I asked God to show himself to me, he quoted a verse my dad quoted a verse that he didn't even know was wow. in the Bible, you know. That is yeah. awesome. You know, and there are those cases, and I talk about this in my book book about um, extraordinary cases like that one, where you see God give it, put someone in experience. I think of my friend, uh, the late uh, Evil Knievel, the big dare, daredevil motorcycle rider who lived a very immoral life in many ways. He was a drunk, a womanizer, a um, partier, and, and, uh, but he was on the beach one day and God spoke to his heart. He felt God speaking to him on the inside. And God said, Robert, I've saved you more times than you'll ever know. Now you need to come to me through my son, Jesus. 
And he was just flabbergasted. He didn't know what to do. And he he read my book, Case for Christ, found out who Jesus was and and became radically born again. And and uh, we became friends and and he just lamented, I wish I'd come to faith as a child and I might could have lived my life differently. But, um, you know, there's a, a supernatural experience that some people have like that. Well, God will intervene like he did in, in the case of your father and, and evil can evil and others. For a lot of us, it's a different pathway. You know, for me, um, my wife became a Christian. I was a skeptic and atheist. And um, I began investigating the resurrection of Jesus as a way to try to get my wife out of this cult that she'd gotten involved in. And uh, ultimately, because of the evidence, became convinced that he is real and that uh, Christianity is true. Uh, So God met me where I was at. He met your father where he was at. And I uh, met Evil Knievel where Evil Knievel was at. Yeah. Okay. I love that the conversation is taking this direction because it's something I've been mulling on and it's the experiential versus the evidential. And yeah. I I think that so many, I know myself, my dad's obviously, we kind of, and in the church especially, we tend to put more tout on the experiential, like, you know, what's the word, what's the word of our testimony? And that's powerful, but then we're, we don't always see as much of the evidential. And like you said, I do believe that the Lord meets us where we're at. Like he knows yeah. how we're going to respond. So what is your thoughts on that? Those two, like, is, is it one or the other? Can it be both? Like what? Yeah. I think it's a both and, you know, my wife had a very experiential journey toward God. I had a very evidential uh, journey toward God. We both ended up in the same place. But I think it is having said that, I think it's really important for people who have more of an experiential uh, faith uh, to nevertheless study and understand why we believe Christianity is true. What is the evidence? And the reason is, we're going to be challenged in our faith increasingly in this hostile culture. And we need to be ready, First Peter 3.15 says, when our friends ask us questions about faith, to give them an answer about why we believe what we believe. Um, so I think apologetics, which is a word that merely means uh, in, to give a defense for the faith, is ever more important in this generation um, than perhaps ever previously in history. Uh, so I think we all need to understand what is the reasons why we believe Christianity is true because it's not just an experience it is um because it is true there is evidence for it yeah well and i just appreciate i mean i'm being challenged and i pray that my listeners are as well because i will you know admit that I, up until this point in my life i feel like i've been very just experiential and for me I've had so many experiences with God and encounters with God that yeah. there's not a person in this world that could talk me out of my faith. Like right. it is so stinking right. solid that I'm like, you're not talking me out of it. But right. what I've been convicted of, and I know that God's leading me on this journey is, but what about the people who are asking me questions? My yes. experience isn't enough for the, to, to answer, you know? And yeah. so I'm like, okay, I'm being challenged. I'm like, all right, my faith is secure. You're not going to argue me out of it for me personally, but I want to be able to answer questions. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that's why I wrote, uh, is God real? It's a book for Christians to understand exactly what you said. It's like, yeah, I believe I have a strong faith, but I want to look at this evidence from science and from history and philosophy in a very simple way. I mean, it's a very accessible book uh, so that now I have confidence. If someone were to ask me why I believe what I believe, I can defend it. But then my prayer is people who are Christians will read the book 
and then they'll give it away. Yeah. Um, give it away to a friend, to a neighbor, to a colleague, to a fellow student or whoever who's spiritually curious and say, hey, you know, I know you have questions about God. Maybe this book could be helpful. I hope it's a Christmas present that people give out this year to their spiritually curious family members. So that, that's my hope, because I think um, when Christians see the evidence, it deepens their faith. And when non-believers see the evidence, man, they get intrigued really quickly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think I might have shared this with you last time I interviewed you that when, after my husband got saved, Case for Christ was the first book he read. And we keep giving that book. I like we have that book on just repeat. You know, it's like you give it away, you order another one, you give it away. And so uh, I know That's that awesome. this book is going to be that same realm of just, you know, reading it and passing them along and ordering more copies. So um, as we wrap up here, there was something that really intrigued me that I, I'm curious about and I want my listeners to hear from too. This book, um, Is God Real, includes what's called the Apologetics Pyramid. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, actually, uh, named Chad Meister, was an atheist who was on the verge of suicide, uh, where he had an experience with God, as you mentioned, and brought him to faith. But then he began to study why he believed what he believed. He's now one of the leading Christian philosophers in the world. And um, he's written many, many books about the evidence for God. But he came up with, and I interview him in the book, what's called um, the apologetics pyramid. And this is a way of going, starting very basically and looking logically through the evidence that points toward the truth of Christianity. So it begins with truth, what is truth? And it looks at the different possible worldviews. There's only three possible worldviews, uh, theism, belief in God, atheism, there is no God, or polytheism, that everything's God. And so we go through that and we determine, and you'll see it in the book, that theism is the only one that stands up to the test of livability and logic. Uh, so we look at theism, how do we believe that God exists? We look at revelation, why do we trust the Bible as being true? The next step in the pyramid is resurrection. Why do we believe that the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God? And then finally, the tip of the pyramid is the gospel, uh, that Jesus died on the cross as our substitute to pay the penalty for the sins that we've committed. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace that we receive in a prayer of repentance and faith. And uh, so it's just a way of starting very basically sorting through the worldviews and the possibilities. And as we sort through it in the book, you'll see that only Christianity passes the test of logic and livability. Yeah. Well, I love, I'm a very visual learner, so I love that. Thank you for that. And I know the listeners appreciate it too. Lee, where can listeners connect with you and then also get a copy of Is God Real? Yeah, my website is leestrobel.com. Uh, if they're interested in studying apologetics online, we have a center at Colorado Christian University, but all of our courses are online. You get a master's degree, a bachelor's degree, or just take courses toward a certificate that you can get. Um, just go to strobelcenter, all one word, dot com, and the information's there. The book's available uh, anywhere that uh, books are, are, uh, are provided. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming back on the show, discussing sure. this topic with us. And yeah, we just appreciate you. Thank, I, thank, I appreciate you. Thank you. It's time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is usually part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps you can implement into your life right now. Now, I said usually because I'm pivoting this slightly today. I'm still going to give you something practical, 
But I, you know, in the intro of this episode, I asked you to stick around. I don't know how many of you stick around for these all the time. Hopefully you do. But I wanted to just give you an update on this show moving forward and as well as something that I feel like you can practically take with you. And so for starters, this is really cool because this episode's releasing at the very end of 2023. If you're listening in real time, I know several of you tune in later, you know, down the road when you find the show and that's okay. But if you're listening in real time, this released in December of 2023. What's special about this is a couple of things is next February of 2024, this show, Real Talk with Rachel, will have been around on the air for six years. That's insane to me because I feel like just yesterday I started out in my closet, little old me editing the my own show. It was a hot mess express, but I have loved every minute of it. And just so you know, I now am in an office. I have a nice recording area. I have somebody who edits the show for me. I have somebody who writes the show notes. I have somebody who creates the social media graphics and uploads them. I have a team, in other words. And this has been such a fun journey. I have interviewed amazing people like Lee and so many others along the way. The show has grown. I mean, it just has been such a fun ride. Now, don't get worried. I'm not about to announce that I'm quitting. That's not it. But I am doing this. I'm going to practice what I preach. So in this month of December, I started this in the year of 2020. And right now we're still in it. So in, we're just releasing fresh episodes every Monday morning in December. We have a series that is called Process and Pray. And the Lord just dropped it on my heart, like I said, in 2020 to go, hey, before we move into the next year, stop and just look back at your year. Take a moment in some special areas here and just process all the things that took place this year. Some good, some bad, some indifferent, some, you know, just all the things, right? We don't always pause. I think especially because in December, we're all like, woohoo, all things holiday related and Christmas. And, and that's exciting. But I love to give us that space to go, okay, let's pause and process. And then the next piece of that is we pray and we go, Lord, what are you saying for the coming year? right? And whether you believe in New Year's resolutions or any of that, that's actually not what this is about because obviously every day is a new beginning, right? We don't have to wait until the next year. But I do love to just pray over the coming year and go, Lord, what things are you asking me to do next year? And so what I'm personally doing when it comes to my life, but also this podcast, is I am pausing this month and I'm looking back and going, okay, Lord, let's look at what we did. Let's look at the guests that we interviewed. Let's look at the talk therapies that we did and looking through and rejoicing over what happened. But I'm also pausing and praying over the coming year. Because my friends, while I love, I love, 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 I can't say love enough, love recording this podcast. It's one of my very favorite things I do. I never want to continue doing something in a way that I've always been doing it just because it's the way you've always done it, right? I like to pause and ask the Lord if he has a fresh word for where we're going. So with that said, this episode that you're listening to right now is the very final guest interview that's going to be released in 2023. And then in 2024, 
as I'm praying, I have not yet decided when we're releasing our first guest interview. So this is where I want to encourage you. Please, one, make sure you follow me on social media. We'll announce everything there. You can find me on Instagram at Rachel J. Gilbert. And then really even more in that than that, because we all know in social media, you just don't see everything. Make sure you're on my newsletter. We send it one time a month. That's right. Once a month. I'm not in your inbox every other day. And it's called Joy Mail. I give you all kinds of updates. I give you great resources. So do sign up for that. I want to ask you to go to my website, rachelgilbert.com. That's spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L-G-I-L-B-E-R-T.com. If you click the freebies tab, you'll find the Joymail community right there. Also, there's usually some pop-ups on the page that you can go and join. And go join that community so you don't miss any updates. Because while I don't yet have the details of what Real Talk with Rachel is going to look like in 2024, I can promise you this. I am pausing, I am processing, and I am praying where the Lord wants to take the show next year. Because my friends, here's the practical piece I want to give you for today. If the Lord is not in it, we don't want to be a part of it. And that sounds so simple. We've heard many things like this before. Just because it's a good thing does not mean it's a God thing. And I think sometimes we get so used to just doing the same things over and over again that we forget to pause, process, and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying for this next season? I just want to follow the cloud, just like the children of Israel did. Follow the cloud. Where are you taking us? So the practical way you can do this right now, tune in to those Monday morning. I don't know if you, some of you listen to the talk therapies, not all of you do. But if you're not listening to those in December, can I encourage you to please do so? Because all I'm doing is I'm bringing up some certain areas of your life and asking you to, from the last year, just pause and process, look at how it went, and then pray about where you're going in the next year, okay? Let me pray with you to finish up this year, okay? So Father, I thank you for every single listener who's sitting under the sound of my voice today. Thank you for every listener who has been listening over these last almost six years. What a gift this is that we get to do this. I pray whatever they're walking through, especially in this holiday season, while there's lots of joy and fun around it, there's also lots of grief and sadness in this time. Draw near to the brokenhearted, Father. And Lord, as I seek clarity for the next steps for this show, I pray that even the listeners are getting clarity for their lives, that you're, you're giving them direction. You're saying, oh, come this way. This is where I'm taking you. Can't you see that I am doing a new thing? We just cling to that word, Lord, from Isaiah 43, that don't you see it? A new thing is just springing up. New life, new ideas, new dreams new provision, new paths. We submit these things to you, Father. And Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for what you did, how you came to earth, how you walked the earth just like us, and you died on the cross for our sins and you resurrected. And we may just have this relationship with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We celebrate you, Jesus, this Christmas. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends. Well, I'm excited to see you back here next year. Like I said, all kinds of updates will be coming your way as soon as I feel like the Lord drops that clarity on my heart. But for now, I want to just wish you 
a Merry Christmas, early Merry Christmas, and let you know that I pray that this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.